So my name's Rebecca, if we haven't met before. It's so good to see you all here this morning in the sunny weather you've chosen to be at church. That's a good choice to make. Now, we've been in this series over the past few weeks, and we're going to be in it for another few weeks, if you've been here, called Streams in the Wasteland. And what we've been doing in this series is looking at how we can be a people who find our source of life in Jesus who when we're thirsty, when we need a drink, go to the living water of Jesus rather than the water of the world around. So in our first week, we looked at what does it actually look like for us to be thirsty? Are we even thirsty? And asked the Spirit to, to bring that thirst to the forefront in our lives. And then last week, Ruth looked at what does it look like for us to quench our thirst in Jesus? And where have we been looking to quench that thirst in other places? And then what happens when we turn from those places, when we repent, when we do a 180 and turn into the other direction to find the living water of Jesus? And so we've been anchoring ourselves in this passage in John 7, which says, I think the verse is going to come up, yeah. Um, John 7, verse 37, 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So today we're going to be looking at what it looks like for the Spirit to empower us, for the Spirit to fill us up day after day after day, for us to live lives that are empowered by that living water so that those rivers can flow, overflow into the world around And so we're going to look at what the Bible says about that. What does the Bible say about what it looks like to be rooted in Jesus, rooted in his spirit? And what I'm going to suggest is that it looks like having a life that is completely surrendered to Christ. So before we get going, let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence among us. Lord, we thank you for the ways that we've already um, been able to encounter you this morning moments where your spirit has filled us with your love, as we shared in communion together, as we've been in worship to you, Lord, I thank you that your presence is powerful. And Lord, as I speak, I pray that you would um, use my words to fill people with your presence afresh. Would your spirit move through the teaching of your scripture? Lord, I pray that you would highlight things to us in fresh ways, that you would touch our hearts again. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to jump straight in, and we're going to go to Romans 8. Romans 8 says this, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So here's the first thing that we realize about a life that is empowered by the spirit. It's a life that is anchored in identity. It's a life that is anchored knowing who we are in Christ, and that is that we are children of God. And this theme of being a child of God, we see it throughout the New Testament, we see it in the Gospels, we see it in Paul's writing a lot, and this is the identity that we receive because we are in Christ. 
And we see that throughout Jesus's life. Now for Jesus, he was born, as you may well know, in Bethlehem and then raised in Nazareth by Mary and Joseph in the Jewish tradition. So he would have been raised into a monotheistic tradition, that part of that Jewish community. And yet, as he walked out his journey, as he walked out his human journey here on earth, he began to become more aware of his identity in God. And he began to experience God in a way that no Jewish person, no prophet of Israel in the Old Testament, no one could have ever even imagined or thought or dared to imagine that they could encounter God. He encountered God as his father. So Jesus was fully divine, but he was fully human. And he was full of the presence of God, indwelt, the Bible tells us, by the Holy Spirit. And the name that he was then given by God for his identity was a child of God. He called God Abba. And that would have been something that would have offended the theology and the thought of that time. This idea that Yahweh, this holy God, could be encountered in this intimate way of calling someone Abba. Because Abba wasn't um, an uncommon concept in the Jewish tradition of that time. It was um, a name, a title that kids would have given to their dads. So he, Jesus might have called, would have called um, Joseph Abba. But it was this very intimate, a very colloquial um, name, a way to speak to a father. This was not the way that people would talk to God or even see God. Now, as we saw in our sermon series before Easter, if you were here, name above all names, names had really weighty and important significance, particularly in the Old Testament and in Jewish tradition, because what they did was they told the people something about the character of God. So introducing the name Abba for God into Jesus's life told Jesus and tells us something about who God is to us. One scholar puts it this way, Abba is not used in Jewish prayers as an address to God. To a Jewish mind, it would have been irreverent. It was something new and unique and unheard of, that Jesus dared to take the step and speak with God as a child speaks with his father, simply, intimately, securely. Abba, as a way of addressing God, is an authentic, original utterance of Jesus. We are confronted with something new and astounding, and herein lies the greater novelty of the gospel. Jesus knew that he was a child of God, and that was the truest thing about him. It marked out his entire life. It marked out the decisions he made, the places he went. It marked out his way to the cross. When he was in Gethsemane, he said, Father, not your way be done, but mine. It was the identity that he was given and that he lived out of. He was full of the Spirit of God, and that manifested in him as a child of God. But the thing is, the New Testament goes on to tell us that not only was Jesus this child of God, but that if we are in Christ, we are children of God. We receive that identity as being in Christ. And being able to call God Abba, this intimate word, this intimate title, is the framework for our identity in our lives. And John, the writer of um, the Gospel of John, sees this intimacy, this close relationship that we're invited into um, as the main consequence of the incarnation. So the main um, result or one of the main things that we receive from God becoming human in Jesus. And he says this in John 1, but to all who received him, who believed his name, he gave power to become children of God. The New Testament scholar Douglas Moo puts it this way, our adoption as sons and daughters, Douglas, affects the deepest and innermost part of our beings. It affects the deepest and innermost part of our beings. Is that something that we can truly say today? That our adoption as children of God is the thing that affects and defines the deepest and innermost part of our beings. 
That is what the Spirit wants to release within us. When we are empowered by the Spirit, we are children of God. And we know this to be true, right, from our relationships with our own parents. Um, Our parents have formed and influenced us in very profound ways, whether positively or negatively or maybe both. I've been shaped by my parents. I've been shaped by the way they've raised me, by the family I was born into, and I'm continuing to be shaped by them now in the way we interact, in our relationship that we have together. And I'm more aware of this than ever as I now have my own tiny human to raise of the unbelievable influence and responsibility that is on me on how I'm raising and forming this tiny human. Who she's becoming is directly a result of of my presence in her life. So when we look at our relationship with God through the eyes of Abba, it reframes totally who we are. It reframes who we're becoming and it reframes how we relate not only to God but also to the world around Because to be children of God, we're turned towards the Father. And the point that Paul is trying to make here in this passage is that to be empowered by the Spirit, to live a life that is full of the Holy Spirit, is to have the direction of our lives as a whole determined by the Holy Spirit. For Paul, this concept of adoption was a common one in his time, and so he would have used this really intentionally. For Paul, this picture that he's painting as adopted children of God is that we're given freedom. We have been chosen. God chose us. In Roman times, lots of babies would have been um, thrown to this outside the city walls. Their parents would not want them. But in, the, in adoption, parents chose babies and children, chose people to be born into their family. That's what God does to us. We did nothing to earn it, but we just receive it by his spirit. God's grace and his love is enough and it is abundant and it is, comes over and over and over into our lives. We are fully and utterly loved and the Father's love is poured into us by the Spirit and we are given a purpose. But what's the opposite? If that is what it looks like to be a child of God, what is the opposite? Well, Paul talks there in that passage about a spirit of slavery that we often fall back into. And he says, we have not received a spirit of slavery. That is the spirit that leads towards death and fear and lies and the old way of life, the old way of being. And I think the greatest obstacle, one of the greatest obstacles to us living a life that is full of the presence of God, the presence of the spirit, is fear. So yeah, this verse again. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Being enslaved to fear, being literally bound by fear, means that we don't live in the full freedom that God has for us, the full freedom that is available to us when we are filled by the Spirit of God. We don't know that we're chosen. We don't live full of the presence in the Spirit of God. We don't know that we're loved. In fact, we think that we're alone, that we're not good enough. And we don't live in the purpose that God has for us. Because in order to lead the lives that God has marked out for us, we have to lead them full of the presence of God. Because we cannot do it on our own. It is only the spirit within us that can empower us to live the lives that he's called us to. Thank you. (laughs) So instead, we try to live out of our experience of the world, the experience of our feelings, the experience of our circumstances, rather than live out of the spirit of truth that's been given to us. How often do we fall back into fear? We know that we're new creations in Christ. We know that the old has come and the new has gone, but we're fearful. We're fearful that we're too broken. We fear that God is actually not who he says he is. We fear that God might not come through for us. 
We fear for our circumstances. We fear for our comfort. We fear that the world around us is just too much for us. We're fearful of surrendering our lives fully to Christ and the work of the Spirit within us because we don't know what it will look like. How often do we let that happen in our lives, right? We do that turn. Instead of turning towards the Father, we turn back to the life for which we have been freed. So how do we receive the Spirit in those moments? How do we actually begin to turn back to God in those moments where we feel like fear is overwhelming? How do we let ourselves be drawn by the Spirit back into that identity of being children of God? Well, Brennan Manning, a writer, says this. How does the life-giving Spirit of the risen Lord manifest himself on days like that? In our willingness to stand fast, our refusal to run away and escape into self-destructive behavior. Resurrection power enables us to engage in the savage confrontation with untamed emotions, to accept the pain, receive it, and take it on board, however acute it may be. And in the process, we discover that we are not alone, that we can stand fast in the awareness of present risenness and so become fuller, deeper, richer disciples. We know ourselves to be more than we previously imagined. In the process, we not only endure, but we are forced to expand the boundaries of who we think we really are. The mystery is Christ among you, your hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. Hope knows that if great trials are avoided, great deeds remain undone, and the possibility of growth into greatness of soul is aborted. Pessimism and defeatism are never the fruit of the life-giving spirit, but rather reveal our unawareness of present risenness. Resurrection power at work within us doesn't mean that we won't experience suffering or challenge or hardship. Quite the opposite. The way of resurrection is through the cross, right? The way to resurrection life is through death. Just look at Jesus' life, Paul's life. Circumstances don't necessarily change. But it does mean that we can position ourselves pointing towards life, pointing in the direction of life, towards the Father, empowered by the Spirit, forgiven, loved, full of grace, secure in our identity as children, and defined not by our circumstances, but by the Spirit of God that testifies within us that we are children of Abba. When I was nine years old, I had a really bad um, arm accident. I don't know if you can kind of see, I've got a lovely scar down my arm. Lots of people don't notice that until I point it out. It is quite, it's, it was a long time ago. Um, I basically fell backwards down a load of stone bleachers and just, I mean, I won't go into the details. The knobbly bit on the end got smashed up off and it was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was grim. But anyway, so they had to do this long operation to kind of put it all back together and they put screws and bolts into my elbow. And I had them in for three months. And then after three months, um, the time came where they were going to remove these bolts. Now, I am... Um, Obviously, this is quite an anxiety-inducing experience for a nine-year-old, like two operations, lots of screws, like the screws were beginning to protrude. It was quite grim. It's time for them to come out. So um, I had this girl in my class who had like um, screws in her hip, and she had told me horror stories that when she went through the airport um, security, like the security went off. So when they were saying, like, when, like planning for this operation, I was like, it has to be before Christmas because we're going to visit my family, and I don't want the, um, this airport security to go off. So we planned this operation. The screws were going to come out. Um, and my dad was going to come with me to the hospital that day. Um, and as they, if you've had an operation, you'll know that they kind of tell you to prep for that by not eating in the run-up to the operation. So he, in solidarity with me, said, we'll both not eat. So we skip breakfast, we prep, we go to the um, hospital, 
And as they're beginning to prep me for the operation, obviously, like, it's not, not the nicest situation for a nine-year-old, like the anticipation of the hospital, of the um, operation. The first operation had kind of been quite an emergency situation, so I hadn't really been aware of it. Whereas this time, like, I had the three months to, like, I knew it was coming. Oh, it was awful. Anyway. Um, so we're prepping there, my dad's there the whole way, like holding my hand, like it's gonna be fine, I'm here with you, like I'm gonna be here the whole time, I love you, just keep your eyes on me. So I'm there like on the table in pre-theater being prepped and whatever, and little fact about me, I don't actually know if this is still true, but um, when I was nine, they really struggled to find a vein to put the anesthetic into. So the first operation, they were trying to get it in here, it wasn't working, they tried to put it in here, anyway, it was, oh, it was awful, they were like, bashing it in. So for this operation, they decided when we're going to forego the, um, is it called like intravenous? Anyway, then we're not going to, thank you, I've got a nod. Yeah, intravenous um, anesthetic, we're going to use a gas mask. So they bring over the gas mask and they're like, okay, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to count to 20. And by the time you get to 20, you'll be out. Like you won't be experiencing this anymore. You'll be out before you know it, you'll be waking up recovering. Okay, so again, my dad's there holding my hand, like telling me stories to distract me. So he's like, all right, he's going to count um, with the nurses. So I'm lying there. One, two, three, four, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. And I was still like fully conscious. So there I am with this gas mask on. I'm like, they're not going to know that I haven't gone out. Oh my gosh, they're going to start like cutting over my arm. And I'm going to like be awake for the whole thing. Like, so obviously I'm like beginning to panic. So my eyes like going behind the gas mask. My dad, bless him, he's like, obviously seeing that I'm panicking. He's like, eyes on me. Like, I'm not going anywhere. It's going to be fine. Just look at me. Like, I love you. It's fine. Anyway. Next thing I know, obviously, I wake up in the children's ward with like cartoons on the wall. Like, obviously, I had gone under, but it wasn't 20, guys. I didn't go under at 20. <laughs> oh, so, anyway, they took the screws out. So, I look to my left, and there's my dad lying in the bed next to me, in this kid's bed next to me. Turns out, as I went under, he passed out. <laughs> from like the heat of the room and the stress of the situation, he hadn't eaten anything. So he comes around to this lovely nurse. Oh, Mr. Reed, don't you worry. You're not the first and you won't be the last. And there he is, like me and Mickey Mouse and him like in the beds next to each other. Like, oh, I'm like throwing up after the, um, after the operation. He's like, yeah, it's hard, it's hard. But anyway, I'll never forget that moment actually, like of um, the panic, like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be fully conscious for this operation. Um, but my dad just like eyes on me. I love you, I'm not going anywhere. You're gonna be all right, like I'm right here next to you. And when we receive our identity as children of God, that is the voice of the Father over us, right? Despite our circumstances, despite the panic and the things that are going on, the Father's voice is saying like, I am here, you are mine and I love you. Unfortunately, God will not pass out, so you can like rely on him to like go the whole hog with you, don't worry. But guys, beyond that, like the New Testament, he, the New Testament has even better news for us. Not only are we, when we're full of the Spirit, we are children of God and we live out of our identity as accepted, loved, free children of God. But the Spirit promises that He will empower us to actually live that out day after day, take steps in that every day as we grow into, as children and disciples of Christ. So Galatians five says this: "Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh." For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, 
I've never heard of that. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's a bad one, that one. Um, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. So for Paul here, the fruit of the Spirit, this is the fruit of a life empowered by the Spirit. These are the things that begin to grow in us and overflow in us as we are empowered by the Spirit. And fruit are a result of a bush or a tree or a plant that is healthy, that is growing, that is doing what it was created to do. It takes time. We had a picture this morning when we were praying about like a blossom tree and how the blossoms are the, are the beginnings of the apples, but the blossoms have to fall before the fruit can come and that it's this process of time as these things grow within us, that the Spirit cultivates these things within us. And all these things, these fruits that Paul lists here are character traits that the Spirit gives us. And these things then overflow into the world around us. They overflow into the people around us. As we're empowered by the Spirit and these fruits grow within us, we become those vessels for the living water to go out into the desert land around us. And not only that, but the Spirit then, the Spirit's presence within us forms how we engage with the world, how we interact and see the world. So these are some super practical things that we can see in our lives as the Spirit grows these things in our lives that become the lens through which we can see the world. The way of the, world, of the Spirit views the world through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's how we can be in seasons of life where our circumstances are so hard, but we can still experience joy and see the world through the eyes of joy. That's how we can be in seasons of like uncertainty, but still have high levels of faith and be faithful to the things that God's called us to. That's how we can be in moments of conflict maybe with another person, but still walk in love with that person. That's how we can have little, but still be generous. It's how we can be stretched to our absolute limits, but still receive patience and peace. About six months ago, back in September, maybe more than six months, um, I felt like the Lord gave me a picture for what he was doing in my life. And um, I felt like I was in a season, like spiritually, where I was like growing and I was being stretched in like a really positive way. Like I just felt like God was doing a lot of stuff in my life, in my spiritual life. And um, in the middle of that, I felt like he gave me a picture of an underwater, underground irrigation system. It's a random one for the Spirit to give me. And if you are a gardener here and you feel like this is not accurate, then take it up with the Spirit, not with me. This is what I felt like the Spirit was saying to me. When I told Colin this, he was like, uh, don't think you know. Anyway. anyway, this is what Google tells us an underground irrigation system looks like. Um, but basically, I had this picture that the Lord was wanting to um, dig up and overturn the earth in my life spiritually in order to dig down deep and create these um, pipes, this strong system that would feed water into the life that I was leading. That those pipes would then systematically water the living water of the Spirit into the, the kind of flowers and the plants that are above, the fruit that was coming that he wanted to bring in my life. 
and that as the rain could come from above, like that can kind of sometimes come unpredictably, this would be a way that the water would feed, feed that growth every day. And now fast forward to the beginning of this year, and I felt like he was kind of doing that work um, in, you know, digging is not always a pleasant experience. So it was definitely like, you know, a work that God was doing within me. But um, fast forward to the beginning of this year and now up to, up to now, like this has been a really intense season for Colin and I, for our family. Like we've just been walking through quite a lot and um, there's been a high degree of uncertainty for a few reasons. And like, it's been an incredible faith journey. Um, but it's just like, we feel like we're pressed to our limits. We are kind of carrying all we can carry. And we're so aware of our weakness and um, kind of our capacity being so limited at the moment. And when I was reflecting with my spiritual director about this recently, um, I was kind of saying that I had been expecting that my circumstances, the things that were going on in our life, would have reflected and mirrored back into my spiritual life. So because there's been um, maybe more hard things or it's been like more of a challenge in our circumstances at the moment and there's been uncertainty, I thought that that would mirror back into my spiritual life, that I would have moments where I would just feel like dry and um, at my end, like at my wit's end spiritually. But actually what had happened was that I, was fe- I felt like I've been experiencing the life of the Spirit in a way that I haven't before, despite my circumstances, despite the things that have been going on in my life. And I felt like coming back to this picture, it's because God had installed this like, way of the Spirit to be watering my, my soul and my heart in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And sometimes when it's felt like that rain is far off, I've noticed that the things are still growing. They might be slower. It might be like little shoots of life. But the water has been coming from below day after day after day. God's been giving me the manna that I need for that day. And I don't think that's just a picture for me. I wonder whether that's something that actually a lot of people in the room can relate to, that you've just come out of a season, but you feel like... um, You've expected to be dry spiritually, but actually you're finding that you're finding like deeper wells spiritually. And I feel like the spirit just wants to say like, that is what I'm doing in your life. And that's so exciting. Like that's the life of an overflow of the spirit. And maybe there are others of us in the room who feel like at the moment our circumstances are dictating our spiritual life. But what God wants to do is say, let me install something deep below that's going to get down into your roots and water the plants of your life so that you can experience life-giving water in every moment of your day and your life so to finish then the question is like what how can we position ourselves if we're children of God who are positioned looking towards the father not away from him and if we are um, to be people who are full of the Holy Spirit like how can we position ourselves what can we do to receive that work of the spirit within us because all of this is just the work of the spirit But I think one answer is that we can intentionally practice his presence. So we can intentionally open ourselves up to experiencing more of his presence. Because we have the power of our choices. We have the power of the spirit within us to make choices that are in line with our identity, not out of line. And choices that where we can receive more of the spirit, not less of him. So here are six quick tips. We don't do this very often. Six quick tips. Rebecca's six quick tips. Rebecca's quick six tips of how to cultivate surrender to the spirit in our lives. So number one, spend time alone with Jesus. Now, this is the obvious one, guys, right? Like these are the foundations, these are the basics. But I feel like there are a few of us who have given this up, who have let this fall by the wayside, who aren't making that space regularly, whether that's we've given up coming to church regularly, obviously not you because you're in the room, but all we've given up, like trying to carve out that time regularly in our lives to be with Jesus, to hear his voice, to receive his love afresh, for him to fill us, to read scripture, to receive his truth, to pray. 
I've heard that it takes 30 days to make a habit. So maybe commit for the next 30 days to finding a way that this will work for you. For me, this looks so different in the season to how it has before, and it will look really different for you. So um, as I said before, like, I've got a little one-year-old, and she does not even let me go to the toilet on my own. So like alone time, I'm getting some nods from the parents. Alone time is not a thing for me right now. Um, and yeah, I think silence and solitude are really key parts of this. So for me, um, I just have to take the moments when I can. A lot of days this doesn't happen. Some days it's Colin who's just incredible, he'll take the breakfast shift and I'll be able to like just have whatever tiny time it is to drink my coffee and just spend a little bit of time with Jesus. Or it's putting on some worship music while I'm washing up and just like singing to worship music or listening to a talk while I'm going on a walk with her or like even just reading the baby Bible to Scout. Like sometimes the Lord speaks for the baby Bible, guys. Get yourself a baby Bible. Sometimes it's the encouraging word from a friend when I'm in a conversation. But there will always be a battle for this. There will always be a battle for your attention and for your time when it comes to spending time with Jesus. But living a life that is empowered by the Spirit is about choosing to position ourselves and our hearts to saying, Lord, this is all I've got. I've got this limited time. I've got this limited capacity, this limited space. This is what I've got. Will you fill me? And he will do the rest. He will fill you. So secondly, find rest. Mark 2.27 says, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You don't need me to tell you that we have a world that is addicted to busyness and productivity, a city that will keep you going, 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 that will not encourage you to stop, that will not encourage you to rest. And we need to recapture the rest that God has given us. We need to recapture Sabbath, recapture things in our lives that will make us stop. Because not only do we then stop physically and we receive supernatural, refreshing, supernatural energy, but it also draws us back into our total dependency on God. When we say no and we stop from the things that are demanding our attention, we bring ourselves back into that dependency on the Spirit, back in our dependency on his living water. So for us, this has been, we've been doing this for quite a few years now, and like particularly, like I say, in this last season, this has been probably the most life-giving practice that we've done. Like We only have Saturdays off at the moment, and we take that Saturday seriously, guys. We do not do admin, we do not do life um, things, we don't clean, we don't do anything like that. We only do things that bring us joy. We, do, we spend it with people that we love, we um, go and do things that we enjoy doing, and we've honestly found that the Lord has blessed us in that day. Like I get to a Friday night, and I'm like... Colin, I actually don't know how we're going to like, like how, we're so exhausted. And then we have the Saturday and the Lord just fills us and we get to a Sunday and we have a bit of energy again and we're able to, to take the next week as it comes because there's a principle that we learn in the Bible about taking a day for God. And it doesn't mean that we're not exhausted, that we're not at the end of our capacity, but it does mean that the Spirit of God can give us what we need. Thirdly, healthy relationships. We are influenced by the people in our lives. This is true, right? We are influenced by the people that we spend the most time around. And I'm convinced that the Spirit works through healthy relationships. He wants to give us healthy relationships with each other, and he wants us to invest in and cultivate healthy relationships. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, this is Paul speaking again, the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Let's work hard to encourage each other. Let's work hard to be wise friends to each other. Let's work hard to pursue humility and gentleness and love and holiness. Because relationships are the place where the Spirit then overflows into another person. Relationships are the place where the fruit of the Spirit overflows into the life of another. 
Fourthly, walk in repentance. We're no longer slaves to sin, right? Paul has told us, we know this from Christ. We have, the old has gone, the new has come. We are no longer slaves to our sin, and yet we are human. And repentance is a way of life. We looked at this last week. The fact that we are children of God, with the fact that we have a Father whose grace abounds, whose grace is always enough, whose love never runs out. He will pour out his grace on you over and over and over and over again. We repent, we turn. Our role is the 180 and the Spirit does the rest. The Spirit fills us and he removes anything in us that is not of him. Because sin gets in the way of us receiving that fullness of life. The sin is like something that blocks that irrigation system. So the water is trying to flow through. The water is there. The water never goes anywhere, but it's struggling to get through fully. So let's pursue Jesus in lives of full surrender where we root out those things so that the water can flow from us and flow freely into the world around. Fifth, let's fill our hearts with mind, heart and mind with truth. Let's be conscious of the voices that we are allowing to be present in our lives. Because a life empowered by the Spirit is a life where the Spirit's voice is the loudest. And I think a really big place where this is contested is in social media and in the media in general. Who are we allowing to speak into our lives? What voices are the loudest in our lives at the moment? Where are we giving our time? Are they people and voices who are speaking truth and um, wisdom and the life of God? Or are they voices that are speaking lies and taking life from us? Because social media can be a total gift, but let's cultivate a greater awareness and be more intentional about who we want to have speaking into our lives. Let's not just let it wash over us and just receive whatever's there. We have the power to decide to have the Spirit's voice be the loudest. Because there are a lot of lies out there, and lies cultivate fear. And Romans tells us that we do not have a spirit to fall back into fear. Unfollow that person who every time they pop up on your feed makes you feel insecure or creates anxiety within you. Stop listening to the music that like fuels anger or makes you feel frustrated. Stop watching that show that is like fueling unhelpful thoughts and desires in your heart. We have the power to fill our hearts and minds with truth. And finally, listen and flee, listen and obey. N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, says this. It is, however, a common Christian experience that while many of the thoughts in our minds seem to come from the ordinary flow of consciousness within us, sometimes we find other thoughts which seem to come from somewhere else, hinting gently but powerfully at God's love, at our calling to holiness, at particular tasks to which we must give energy and attention. A key part of Christian discipleship is to recognize that voice and to nurture the facility of listening to it. It is or may well be the voice of God's own spirit. And one of the primary things that the Spirit says, with which we find our own spirit in full agreement, is that we are indeed God's children, God's adopted sons and daughters. When we know that we are children of God, it changes the way that we choose to live our lives. Children look at their parents and they see love in their parents' eyes. And that is the most transforming and forming thing that a child can receive. Because it leads to a life of adventure. It leads to a life of like, what's next? Like, where are we going to next? Like, what's the plan? Let's do something. This is great. Because they're in full trust and full love of their parents. It changes our perspective and it changes how we live our lives. And when we completely trust that identity, we begin to hear God's voice. We trust the Father's voice in our lives. And we can begin to live that life of adventure that the Spirit empowers us to live. As we are transformed more into Christ and the people that he's created us to be, we hear his voice. That kingdom adventure begins to break out around us.
The, one of the passages that we've looked at again throughout the series is Ezekiel 47, which is a picture that the prophet of Ezekiel paints of what a spirit, the spirit of water breaking out from the temple looks like. It's an abundance, the temple flowing out, turning salt water into fresh water, swamps into marshes. And then in verse 12, we get this. On the banks of both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their lives will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be food and their lives for healing. This is what our lives can look like when we're empowered by the Spirit, when the Spirit flows through us. When we are fully surrendered to him, this is the work that he does within us as children of God, fully alive fully healthy, fully rooted, bearing fruit. But it is the Spirit who does this work, right? We can do all the things, we can position ourselves, we can fix our eyes on Him, but it's the Spirit who fills us, it's His presence that does this in us.